Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. That's the plan. All right, people, on the running line. I am me! Yeah! I am me! Hi, geeky type fans. We're back. We are back. Yes, we are. I am Al, quad shot from the forums, and I have the incredible privilege of co-hosting the second installment of the Alien franchise with my great geeky shirtless friend, Brian. And this time, it's war. <laughs> I hope no you're more wearing Mr. Nice shirt. <laughs> no more one little alien running around scaring everybody. Nuh-uh. This time we're bringing back some superior firepower, and it's time to go bug stomping. That's right. We're gonna squash them nasty little bugs. Wait, that's a different movie. That's a that's a Star uh, Ship Troopers with the bugs, right? Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, I love that. That's a great movie. We that's, should do that sometime. I think we should. I think we should just stick I with this whole alien thing. So that movie's so underrated because if you get if you just get into the joke of it, it's a hoot. I mean, mm -hmm. all of that uh, that whole and the, the effects were great. They were. Yeah. They were. We yes, we do. Let's go to the original. Let's go kill some aliens. That's right. So speaking of aliens, Aliens was the incredibly successful sequel to the original Alien movie that we talked about a couple of months ago. Now, Aliens was released in the United States on July 18th, 1986, and then on September 26th, 1986 in the UK. Now, like I said, this was the 1986 follow-up to the incredibly, unbelievably scary, well, at least I was scared, <laughs> 1979. Yeah, I'm still scared. You know, I can't sleep with the light off. I can't. Now, we had Sigourney Weaver reprising her role as Ellen Ripley. For Michael a cool $1 million, they wow. say. Wow. Yeah, she, uh, she, got her, she got her check. Yeah, she did. <laughs> yeah, she, she held out for it, too. They, she, the, whole, the whole project was actually put on hold briefly, and uh, the studio actually went to Cameron and said, hey, could you write the script without Ripley's character in it? And he was like, no. He was like, forget <laughs> it. That's a, that's a deal breaker. So she knew she had them, and they, they paid her. 
She had them by the uh, short, short strings. <laughs> and then we had Michael Bean as Corporal Dwayne Hicks and the uh, the extremely funny Bill Paxton as the extremely annoying but awesome source of great one-liners arrive <laughs> at William Hudson. Both of whom were in Terminator. That's right. Oh, that's right. Bill, Bill, Bill Paxton pa- was was one of those punk guys like, that Arnold meets, runs yeah. into when he first comes across and mm-hmm. uh, he kills them for their clothes. Yeah, give me your clothes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then Paul Reiser from Inc- Mad About You. Yeah, Mad About You uh, as Carter Burke, the Way- uh, Wayland Utani Corp. Uh, he's kind of a butt pirate in this movie. And it's kind of weird to see Paul Reiser in this type of role because we're used to seeing him, you know, in stand up comedy and in the family type comedy roles. Uh, and then another uh, sort of B movie sci fi horror genre type actor, Lance Henriksen, as Bishop, the android and executive officer of the Sulaco. Sulaco? Yeah, what, what, do you know what, what was he in? Was he in anything before this of note that it, we would remember? Or um, I. I don't know if it was before this or after this, but there was a there was a sci-fi series called Millennium. Oh, okay. That, yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever watched that. I think that was after Aliens, though. Yeah, but before this, I, I don't think so. I think he was in the Pumpkinhead movies, but uh, uh, okay. I'm not sure if it was before or after this. Um, and then Private Jeanette uh, Vasquez was played by Jeanette Goldstein. Goldstein. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> and Alan the, and I were just joking. She's like, it's the it's the first Jewish uh, Latina, I think. Right. In film, right? <laughs> that's right. So, and if you have anything to say, you can send those emails to Rico. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, William Hope played the uh, incredibly incompetent Lieutenant William Gorman. Al Matthews. Know, there's a guy. I'm sorry. There's a guy mm-hmm. that. Did he ever do anything else? You know, I, I recognize his face from like bit parts on TV uh, shows here and there, but uh, you know, I don't think he really went on to to do much else. He was great in this. I mean, he's I mean, he he played that character perfect. He did. Yeah. He, I wanted to poke him in the face. Exactly, that was the point. Yeah. yeah. And being you know being ex military, uh, I've seen a few guys like, guys like that that yeah. you really do just want to you know stick a, a live frag. Never mind. <laughs> And then uh, Al Matthews played Sergeant Al Lapone, <laughs> right? He actually had military experience. He yeah. was the only uh, cast member who who actually came from a military background. Mm-hmm. But Al Lapone, really? I know. <laughs> <laughs> there's some uh, there's some weird stuff going on with the writing. Have you noticed that the the first names of the characters are also the first names of most of the actors? Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's a good yeah. point. Yeah. Mark Ralston played Mark Drake. Whoa, right. that's weird. I guess that you know. I guess it's like uh, being on set with a dog or something. You know, you're trying to act with a dog, and you have to use the dog's real name, otherwise they don't understand what you're talking about. You know, it, it, and one of the things I'll touch upon talking about pre-production of the of the film is once they once they casted all of these guys for the uh, Marines, they uh, got them all together and trained them for about two weeks with a special forces guy. Um, so maybe it was easier to refer to them by their first names um, in terms of you know getting them, directing them and training them and stuff. And so they, it was just, they stick with it for their character names as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a, good, that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Cynthia Dale played, uh, I'm sorry, Cynthia Dale Scott played Cynthia Corporal Cynthia Diedrich, the corpsman, the yep. uh, the nurse that <laughs> got killed early on. Yep. <laughs> and Carrie Henn played Newt, the little girl. Tip Tipping played Private Tim Crow. He was another one that bit the big one early on. 
Crowe, yep. Yeah. Trevor Steedman played Private Trevor Wiersbowski. That's uh, that's a tough name. That's almost as uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> and then Colette Hiller played Corporate uh, Corporal Colette Farrow, the dropship pilot. Now the thing yep. that I thought was funny about Colette is that she looked a lot like um, the uh, the one in the original Alien movie, the pilot. Oh, she looks like um, she looks like Lambert. Right. Yeah. 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 I uh, thought she looked, especially Ronnie, with the glasses. That's yeah, it. Ronnie, yeah. Yeah. Especially with the glasses on, I thought, wow, that's crazy. Fly me friendly. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> on her helmet. Yeah. And then Daniel Cash played Daniel Spunkmeyer. Rico Ross, no no relation to our uh, our good friend Rico, huh? No. Uh, played Private Rico Frost. Frosty, uh, yep. Yeah, Frosty. And then Paul Maxwell as Van Leeuwen. He was the head of the review board that revokes Ripley's flight status. Oh, we've had people living there for years. Everything's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Nothing's wrong here. Uh, this film, of course, was directed by John Cameron, produced by Gail Ann Hurd, Gordon Carroll, David Giller, and Walter Hill. Screenplay. And I'll quickly, quickly jump in and mention sure. Gail Ann Hurd is also currently the executive producer of The Walking Dead. Awesome show. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that uh, Rico hasn't done a podcast on The Walking Dead. I oh, two, two seasons in now, and it's probably probably a good amount of material. Yeah, it's, a, it's such a great show. It is. Uh, it and is. she's and she's been you know she was married to Cameron. She and Cameron mm-hmm. were married. Got married right during Terminator. They did they they did Terminator together. Went on to do um, Aliens together. I'm not quite sure at what point they got they, they divorced, but um, she's been a, a heavy hitter in Hollywood for some time, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the screenplay was actually written by James Cameron. Yep. And uh, this film was distributed by 20th Century Fox. Now, Aliens begins about 50 or so years after the events of the original Alien movie when Ellen Ripley survived her horrific ordeal, you know, the one that launched a franchise empire. (laughs) Anyway, her escape pod is recovered after drifting across the galaxy as she slept in cryogenic stasis. As she wakes up in the hospital, actually a space station type hospital, she discovers that she was actually in hypersleep for 57 years Long time. Jonesy, come here. Hey, come here. How are you, you stupid cat? How are you? Where have you been? Guess you two have met, huh? I'm Burke. I'm Carter Burke. I work for the company. But don't let that fool you. I'm really an okay guy. I'm glad to see you feeling a little better. They, uh, they tell me that all the weakness and disorientation should pass soon. It's just... Natural side effects of such an unusually long hypersleep or something like that. What do you mean? How long was I out there? Has no one discussed this with you yet? No, but I mean, I don't recognize this place. No, I know. Uh, okay. It's just that uh, this might be a shock to you. It's long. How long? Please. 57 years. What? That's the thing. You were out there for 57 years. What happened was you had drifted right through the core systems, and it's really just blind luck that a deep salvage team found you when they did. It's one in a thousand, really. I think you're damn lucky to be alive, kiddo. 
You could be floating out there. For After she has a chance to heal a bit, she's summoned before a panel of executives from Wayland Yutani to hear her story about the destruction of the Nostromo. Now, in an added scene just before she and Carter Burke, the company rep played by Paul Reiser, uh, go in there, she asks Burke about her daughter, and, she, and she's informed that she actually died two years ago at the age of 66. Of course, Ripley is torn up by this information as they move into the interview room. Of course, as she relates the story of the acid for blood monsters, no one believes her, and as a result, she gets quite PO'd and pretty much tells them they're all morons. Not a good career move. Now, the exec, uh, the head exec here doesn't take kindly to that, and they decide to strip Ripley of her flight status. On the way out the door, she confronts the exec and tells him at least to scope out the planet uh, LV-426, and he replies that there's no need to. They've had terraformers on the planet for at least 20 years now. Dun-dun-dun. Now, at this point in the special edition, another scene was added in where we see life on LV-426. In this scene, we get to see how Newt became an orphan. She and her mom and her dad and her little brother Timmy are in a rover and discover the very familiar space jockey ship. And mom and, decide, mom and dad decide to go have a look around, instructing Newt and her brother to stay in the minivan. After a while, mom rips open the door and begins calling for her uh, and, and grabs the radio and calls for help. As the camera pans down, we see dad laying on the ground with, yep that hand crab looking thing stuck on his face cue some newt type screaming then we flash to ripley uh when she is later uh, visited by Whalen yutani representative carter burke once again and lieutenant gorman of the colonial marines who inform her that contact has been lost with the colony on lv-426 the company decides to dispatch Burke and a unit of Marines to investigate and offers to restore Ripley's flight status and pick up her contract if she will accompany them as a consultant. Only a consultant. Hi, Ripley. This is Lieutenant Gorman of the Colonial Marine Corps. Ripley, we have to talk. We've lost contact with the colony on LV-426. I don't believe this. You guys throw me at the wolves, and now you want me to go back out there? Forget it. It's not my problem. Can I finish? No. There's no way. Ripley, you wouldn't be going in with the troops. I can guarantee your safety. <laughs> These colonial marines are very tough hombres. They're packing state-of-the-art firepower. There's nothing they can't handle. Lieutenant, am I right? That's true. We've been trained to deal with situations like this. <laughs> then you don't need me. I'm not a soldier. Yeah, but we don't know exactly what's going on out there. It may just be a down transmitter, okay? But if it's not, I would like you there as an advisor. And that's all. What's your interest in all this? Why are you going? Corporation co-financed that colony along with colonial administration. We're getting into a lot of terraforming now and building better worlds. Yeah, and yeah, I saw the commercial. Look, I don't have time for this. I've got to get to work. All right. I heard you're working in the cargo docks. That's right. Running loaders and forklifts, that yeah. sort of thing? so? Nothing. I think it's great that you're keeping busy. And I, I know it's the only thing that you could get. 
There's nothing wrong with it. What would you say if I told you I could get you reinstated as a flight officer? The company has already agreed to pick up your contract. Now, traumatized by her previous encounter with the alien, Ripley initially refuses but accepts after Burke promises that the team will destroy any aliens found, not attempting to study them. Mm-hmm, we've heard that before. Aboard the warship Solaco, she's introduced to the Colonial Marines, including Sergeant A. Pone, Corporal Hicks, Private Privates Vasquez and Hudson, and the android Bishop. And understandably, Ripley is initially hostile towards the android due to her previous experience with the android Ash aboard the Nostromo. The expedition descends to the surface of LV-426 via a dropship where they find the colony seemingly abandoned. Two living facehuggers are found in containment tanks in the medical lab. The only colonist found is a traumatized young girl nicknamed Newt. The Marines determined that the colonists were clustered in the nuclear-powered atmosphere processing station where they find a large alien nest filled with the cocooned colonists. Uh Uh-oh. The aliens attack, killing most of the unit and capturing Apone and Dietrich. Ripley is able to rescue Hicks, Vasquez, and Hudson by slamming the Batmobile, I mean the APC, into the uh, wall. With Gorman knocked Unconscious during the rescue, Hicks assumes command and orders the dropship to recover the survivors, intending to return to the Sulaco and destroy the colony from orbit. Unfortunately, a stowaway alien kills the dropship pilots in flight, causing the vessel to crash into the processing station. The surviving humans barricade themselves inside the colony complex. Once they return to the medical area, this is when another added scene comes in, and I might add a pretty cool one. Our heroes set up their defenses, and we see a minor subplot involving some automated machine gun sentries deployed in a couple of corridors. And later, as the aliens begin to move in on them, we get to see these bad boys rip off about a thousand rounds in just a few moments. Do your thing, baby. Come on, come on, Vesquez. Let's get the hell out of here. Hudson here. A and B sentries are in place and key. Stand by, arming now. Test it, Hudson. Do it! Fire in the hole! Okay, Greg, let's get the hell out of here. We're stealing the tunnel. Maybe. This is unbelievable. 20 meters in closing. 15. How many? Can't tell. Lots. D-Gun's down 50%. C-Gun's right behind it. Stop it. Just an ain't stopping them. 150 rounds on D. Come on. Come on, baby. Come on. 100 rounds. Come on, come on. Now, Ripley discovers that it was Burke who ordered the colonists to investigate the derelict spaceship where the Nostromo crew had first encountered the alien eggs and that he hopes to return alien specimens to the company laboratories where he can profit from their use as biological weapons. She threatens to expose him, but Bishop soon informs the group of a greater threat. The damaged processing station has become unstable and will soon detonate with the force of gulp, a thermal nuclear weapon. 
He volunteers to use the colony's transmitter to pilot the Sulaco's remaining dropship to the surface by remote control so that the group can escape. Now Ripley and Newt fall asleep in the medical laboratory, awakening to find themselves locked in the room with two facehuggers, which have been released from their tanks. Ripley is able to alert the Marines, who rescue and kill the creatures. Ripley accuses Burke of attempting to smuggle implanted alien embryos past Earth's quarantine inside her and Newt, and of planning to kill the rest of the Marines in hypersleep during the return trip so that no one could contradict his version of the events. The electricity is suddenly cut off and numerous aliens attack through the ceiling. Hudson, Burke, Gorman, and Vasquez are killed while Newt is captured by the aliens. Ripley and an injured Hicks reach Bishop and the second dropship, but Ripley refuses to leave Newt behind. She rescues Newt from the hive in the processing station where the two encounter the alien queen and her egg chamber. Ripley destroys most of the eggs, enraging the queen, who escapes by ripping herself free from her little egg depository thingy, tube type thing. Closely pursued by the queen, Ripley and Newt rendezvous with Bishop and Hicks on the dropship and escape moments before the colony is consumed by the nuclear blast. Now back on the Sulaco, Ripley and Bishop's relief at their narrow escape is, of course, interrupted when the alien queen, who stowed away on the dropship's landing gear, impales Bishop and tears him in half. Ripley battles the queen using an exosuit cargo loader and before expelling it into space through an airlock. from her, you bitch! Ripley, Newt, Hicks, and the still-functioning half-bishop <laughs> then enter hypersleep for the return to Earth. And that's the end of the Alien franchise, according to some. 20th Century Fox, who, after the success of Alien, really wasn't so keen to do a sequel. They, uh, you know, initially, I guess we'll just sort of jump right in. That's a good, good lead-in to jump right into the, the, how this movie came to be. Yeah, so um, Alien, Alien was, a, was a financial success, obviously, in 20th Century Fox. The assumption was that they were going to do a sequel. Um, David Geiler, who was one of the executive producers, figured, yep, let's, you know, let's keep the ball rolling. But then there were some management changes at 20th Century Fox, and uh, apparently um, they were kind of lukewarm to the idea of, of doing a sequel. They didn't think that Alien had generated enough profit to warrant a sequel. And specifically, the rumor is it was Sherry Lansing at the time who was kind of against the idea of doing it. Um, David Geiler contacted Cameron, um, and Cameron, who, who had been working for Roger Corman at the time, um, wanted asked him if he'd be interested in either drafting a, a screenplay for, for a sequel to Alien. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, Cameron was all aboard. He said, yeah, absolutely. He loved the original. Um, so he began to create this script um, and did about a 45-page treatment. Um, and then Fox got cold feet and uh, you know they, they put it on hiatus. Um, and then 
Cameron at the same time was in pre-production on Terminator, and he was all set to start shooting Terminator, but Schwarzenegger couldn't commit for another six months to shooting the film because he was already obligated to do Conan 2. So in a weird twist of fate, the fact that Conan 2, which was an awful movie, got, <laughs> was, was being made, actually got, gave Cameron another six months to, con- to finish out the entire script for Aliens and presented it to uh, 20th Century Fox. And Fox, when they saw the completed script at that point, they were like, wow, yeah, that's awesome. Okay, you got it. We're doing this. Um, and the, you know, Cameron wanted to direct, and they said, well, we'll see how Terminator does. If Terminator does well, you can direct. So Terminator is a huge success. So boom, Cameron is in the uh, director chair. He wrote, he wrote the screenplay. And his partner and, uh, and soon-to-be wife, Galen Hurd, were, was his uh, executive producer. And uh, Alien got put on the books and uh, was given an $18 million budget and a 1986 planned release date. And they were up and running. And uh, so the first thing they had to do was cast. Um, and as I mentioned before, Sigourney was, you know, was actually approached by Cameron himself. And, uh, and, she, and she had no idea the project was even going on. And he showed her the script, and she read it, and she was like, "Wow, you, you know, he." She really felt that Cameron understood the character of, of Ripley and wrote her in a way that Sigourney could totally see her see the character being in this film and in this environment. Um, Sigourney did ha- I, I hold out for for money, and can't blame her because <laughs> you know this was a this was this you know this whole party is for naught without her. And uh, so they wrote her they wrote her the big million dollar check and. Uh, she that was she was I think the highest paid woman ever at the time when she received that. Um, so the script that uh, Cameron completed for Aliens, he was very very specific in that he wanted this <clears throat> not to be a remake of Alien. Obviously, he he wanted to go in a totally different dire- direction, but he wanted it to be a direct sequel. So he wanted the events to 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 happen. Obviously, they happen you know fifty or sixty years <laughs> in the future because of what happens to Ripley's. Uh, Life pod, but you know he wanted that. He wanted because he wanted to have respect for the source material. He wanted to really pay homage to to what Ridley had done, um, and uh, he really wanted to explore the idea of a mil- military in the future. He really loved that concept. So, and one of the things that he drew a lot of inspiration for for the alien story was the Vietnam War. You know, back in the early '80s, Al, I think you and I can both recall that. You know. That was still very much part of the public conscience. You oh, know, yeah. Vietnam was still was still something that was on a lot of people's minds, and so a lot about aliens in terms of the technology, the look, the attitude of the Marines. That was all very much taken from a sort of a Vietnam a Vietnam uh, War sort of perspective. Um, what's interesting about aliens, and you think about it, the, the these these guys are the, the colonial Marines. So you think about what is what is a colonial marine? Well, we, we sort of assume that they're like the United States Marines, but in reality, these are these are these cats have been hired by Wayland Utani to go and clean up this mess. So you know, it, watching the movie, I never thought about that. I was like, yeah, what? This isn't like a government operation. This is a private company hiring these guys to go in. They're like Mercs. They're like Mercs, but but they're but they're very disciplined and they're very organized and they're very well equipped. So it's almost like you know, it makes you wonder what was the military of the alien universe of, the, of this world liked or w- was was national militaries no more and were they all like like these little groups that would be hired out or 
you know, it's just interesting to think about, you know, who, who, who are the colonial Marines affiliated with? It's something I, you know, it's something I never even thought of. And well, I know who they're affiliated with. Who? Stark Industries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't everybody? <laughs> so, so they, uh, so this idea of, of Vietnam, you know, played a lot in the original, in the initial concept and design work. Um, Sid Mead, who had worked on uh, Blade Runner and uh, Tron, came in to uh, design a couple of the ships, including the Sulaco. Um, and uh, let's see, you know, the, uh, the, ape, the, um, the dropship um, mm-hmm. was obviously used, a very, very similar looking model was used in Terminator, as, we were, as you and I were talking about before, um, and then brought into um, Aliens. The concept behind the, the dropship was supposed to look sort of like a Cobra helicopter combined with an F-4 Phantom was kind of the idea. Um, the, um, APC was, you know, obviously like a, like a tank and it was actually built, the APC was actually built over the, uh, a 740, a British Airways 747 tug. So one of those little, one of those tugs that would, oh, yeah, yeah. That would back, you know, back a 747 away from the gate. That's what they used because it was the only thing that actually was functional that had wheels that were that big. And that was the, that was sort of the, the visual design that they that they were sort of going for in the movie so they 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 hired they bought one of these tugs or rented it put on the 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 rest of the material on the outside to make it look kind of futuristic um the pulse rifles which are just a classic i mean talk about it i mean one of the greatest science fiction weapons of all time are actually a thompson 45 submachine gun with a sort of with a part of a shotgun underneath for the grenade launcher and then with some doodads like on the top of it, um, so they so they used a lot of again you know keeping with a lot of the real world kind of ideas to give to ground the military aspect of this into something that's very recognizable that you know as an audience we look at it and go yeah that's a gun and that's the kind of gun that you know it doesn't fire lasers it fires bullets and it fires grenades and it's something very understandable for the audience it's not super duper futuristic or it's not a phaser you know it's um it, and i think that i think that really helps the film in from a visceral sense because it's because it's noisy and it's violent in a way that we kind of expect like a battle to be you know it's satisfying <laughs> especially those smart guns the smart guns that drake and vasquez carry around those were based on a, a german machine gun that actually saw a lot of use with like um, the sand troopers and Star Wars. They're, they walk around with a couple of those, these MG88 machine guns, because they they and they live fire. They were you know they were basically firing blank rounds like a regular machine gun on set in order to make it look and sound as realistic as it obviously does. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then they they sort of put some. They, they used a, a steady cam rack to mount them on so that the actors could could carry them around and swivel them on that little harness thing that they had but that should, that was just a steady cam that um uh that they use for filming when you're when someone's walking and you you don't want the camera to bounce around or anything like that so you you did a great job going through the cast of characters we have um just a quick note Carrie Ann uh, Car- uh Carrie Hen as Newt this was the only thing she ever did she went off and became a school teacher in Florida. That's where she is to this day. I can't figure out why she was such a great screamer. Yeah, she was terrific. I mean, she was. She has. She is a. Um, she is the daughter of a. Well, hold on. Where she is a. I think it's her father. Is an American. Is a, was an American. 
stationed at an American military base, and her mom is British. Hmm. She had no acting experience. And that kind of, you know, I didn't realize that she had parents that were British and American, but that kind of explains why sometimes she has a funny little accent. Yes. You know, you notice that sometimes when she delivers her dialogue. When they were testing for Newt, when they were looking for, for this character, they, they tested 500 children for the role. And the problem was that all the children they tested all had experience in doing commercial work, like actual commercials. And every time they would deliver a line, they would end, they would, they would end it and they would smile because that's what you do in a commercial. <laughs> And, and Gail Ann heard in the interviews on the bonus desk, she's just like, it's so inappropriate because it's like the character is going to be dealing with these really dramatic and these horrible things. And every, every actor, every kid actor they're looking at is smiling at the end of the line delivery. It's like, oh, my God. It <laughs> kind of takes away from the, uh, you know, the stress of the situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then in casting, you know, casting our Marines, um, because of British labor laws, uh, they had to test like 3,000 people in order to try and whittle and, and, and they all had to be British in order to, to show because they're filming in England right so the show the British government that they made a huge effort to find you know local actors that could play these roles but the problem was is that it wasn't the actors weren't any good it's just that James Cameron really wanted American accents and he wanted him that American sensibility of being a hard ass you know he wanted guys that were that were like a pwn and, and, and were smart Alex like Hicks. I mean, he, that's what he was looking for. And people, and ones that can be very aggressive and in, 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 in with the military aspect of it, and he wanted that vibe from, from the actors. So the casting did take a, take a while, and it, it was difficult for them to... You know, Jeanette Goldstein, she was working in London and you know, came in, and so they were able to, they were able to hire her. Um, Drake was also working in London at the time, and that's how they found him. Um, Hicks, or, or uh, yeah, Hicks was actually uh, Michael Bean was not the original choice for Hicks. Um, an actor named James Remmer was originally cast, but left the, the film within a, within the first week due to artistic differences with Cameron. So Cameron is like, oh crap, you know my 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 head my lead guy is gone. So he, he calls up Michael Bean. He's like, hey, loved you, loved working with you in Terminator. Can you be on a plane in in three days and get to London and start shooting? And he was like, yep, I'm there. Um, so that's how they assembled the cast. So once all the Marines were put together, like I mentioned, they hired a special forces uh, guy to teach them and to get them really up and running and comfortable with. Being a military unit, putting you know, making them go, making them do maneuvers, making them do assaults and simulations and all of this stuff, and it was a lot of fun for the actors, and they really bonded. Um, Cameron gave them all of their equipment, all of the armor that you see them wearing in the movie, and let them basically decorate it themselves. So if everything, you, all those little things like. Um, the adios on Vasquez's gun, or the fly me friendly, or all of those things that are on the um, on the armor were actually from the actors. The actors were asked, "Hey, whatever you want, just put, put just decorate them. You know, pretend you're a soldier, and this is your this is your gear that keeps you alive." So they all had a chance to actually to do that, which I think is really cool. Mm -hmm. It gives it gives them a chance to really really own it, you know, a little bit more. And uh, you know, on the back of um, I guess on the back of um, um, of 
of Hudson's of Bill Paxton's gear. There's, it says contents under pressure. <laughs> so, and there's all these little things that you you don't necessarily you know you don't see, but they're there in the movie if you if you know if you look close enough. And uh, anyway, so that was pretty cool. And Cameron is really a stickler for making this as realistic as possible. And um, Bill Paxton tells a story about Cameron had him put all of his armor on, and he's looking at it. He's like, "All right, I want you to run down the hall and smash into that wall." And Paxton, you know, Paxton's just so happy to be there doing this movie. He's like, you got it, you got it, James. There we go. He goes running down the hall, smashes into the wall, falls down. All of the, all of the equipment goes flying off of him, breaks into a million pieces. And Cameron's like, yeah, no. He goes back to the, arm, the, the effects guys. He's like, that ain't going to work. These guys are going to be doing a lot of hard stuff. That needs to be better. You know, and I think this was, this, this was a, a, definitely an interesting insight into how filming, which began in 1985, um, some of the problems that's developed on set in terms of the relationship between Cameron and basically the, the British crew that he was working with. The, the problem the Cam- with Cameron or working on a James Cameron production apparently is that he's a writer, he's an effects guy, he's a director. You know, he does it all. So you, you can't tell him that you can't do something because he'll just show you, yeah, you can, you do it like this, you know. <laughs> so he's, he was certainly a hard driving guy and they you know he's known for for a shoot on his you know shooting with him is very very challenging um so and it it did create a lot of tension between him and his original director of photography who he had to fire two weeks into production i mean in the dps that's a big job and you know Cameron is two weeks into this movie and he's already having to fire his DP. And the story that was told is that apparently they they were shooting at the Acton power plant where they set up the the alien hive um, underneath the power plant on uh, on the planet. And you know you know how, you remember how you know when the Marines are going through there and you the walls are covered with like the alien goo and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Cameron really really wanted the 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 lighting to be solely from their those little minor minor lights they had on their shoulders, and he he didn't want to see any of the detail. He just wanted it to be very very dark, even though the set was incredibly detailed. Well, the deep, the director of photography guy was lit it like he would light anything, so you could see everything, and and it was just it just wasn't working. So um, so they fired him. They brought another guy in that worked out a whole lot better, um, and uh, there were some other issues with tea breaks and you know cameron sitting there trying to do a shot and the tea lady would come in with their uh, with tea and cheese those rolls. brits oh my <laughs> gosh well to, in, to defense of all in defense of all the, of our brit listeners out there and we know who you guys are um apparently the the, the tea thing was was i guess a little overblown because apparently the guys would come in start working and shooting at 10 o'clock this lady would come in and if you didn't go and get your tea and your cheese roll you were basically sol until lunch so people were kind of if you wouldn't eat then and it was just it was it was a little bit demanding and uh so i guess i can understand both sides of that but uh you know with cameron being you know, relatively young guy, you know, with a big budget movie here coming off of Terminator, I would imagine he was probably not, not one to suffer fools, uh, you know, lightly uh, in terms of getting this movie done. So, um, yeah, so they, you know, they, they the, the shoot was, was challenging. It was long. It was hard. It was grueling. Um, it, uh, you know, it, it, what was interesting is that um, Newt, um, well, actually, no, Newt was, Newt was in England, but Sigourney, um, Riser and uh, and and the guy who played Gorman, they didn't come over until and and Hicks actually because he he came in so late. They didn't come over until after 
shooting was just about to start. So, so they missed all that military training part. And I think that really helped establish them as kind of the outsiders. And you, you really get that vibe, you know, that, you know, there's the Marines and then there's, there's Gorman, there's, there's, you know, Sigourney and, you know, and there's Paul Reiser. And, you know, you get the idea that they are, they're separate and the Marines treat them that way. And they're sort of like, you know, like when, when uh, they wake up, have a hypersleep and uh, Vasquez looks at, at Sigourney and goes, hey, who's Snow White, yeah. you know? They're 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 clearly the outsiders um, looking in, and and it and I think that the fact that they weren't part of all of the all that stuff that they that they did in the beginning, you know, sort of really played into that, and that really helped helped the movie a lot. Um, you know, having having a character like Carter Burke was so interesting because you know Paul Reiser tells tells a story that like he's on set wearing a vest and a uh, you know a, a vest and that plaid shirt. And people were like, aren't you in this movie? And he's like, no, I am. <laughs> but again, it, it just sort of it differentiated him from everyone else. You know, he's, he's the money guy. He's the corporate guy. And, uh, but he does such a great job playing, playing just this, like, smarmy guy. Like, when he's trying to negotiate with Ripley and he's like, you know, and we all come out of this and it's like we're all rich. And it's like, oh, my God, he's so awful. I know. <laughs> you know, people are dying and this is all you can think about is, is his corporate profits. It's just funny. Well, there's more than human money. Really? <laughs> Not for him. There's face huggers <laughs> on uh, on Newton Ripley, if he'd have his way. Yeah. So yeah, no, there was there was there were there were there were a couple of um, a couple of fires uh, in the APC set, or they you know they had an interior set built to the APC, and you remember that scene where. Um, where Drake gets shot, uh, or well, yeah, you know he gets sprayed with the acid because yeah. Vasquez shoots an alien next to him, and the acid hits him, and he spins around with the flamethrower, and the flames go into the APC. Mm -hmm. The APC roof caught caught fire, and uh, Bill Paxton was in there with Jeanette, and she was like, "I can't breathe," and he <laughs> and he looks at he's like, "Wow, that's that's a great character moment, right? I can't breathe." And all of a sudden he realized he couldn't breathe either, and it was like because there were, all the air got sucked out of this room. <laughs> That they were because of the the ceiling caught on fire and uh, and then another time um, working with the um, with the uh, with the APC the uh, you know this thing weighed I mean it weighed like you know twenty tons this this tug that was underneath this whole thing and they set up a shot where the where the where the APC is heading towards the cameras and at the last minute uh, Cameron and Heard were like you know if that if that didn't stop, that could be a real problem. So why don't we set these cameras up remotely? And they did. And sure enough, the, the APC ran right into the cameras. The brakes failed, and it just plowed right through. And so uh, so this certainly wasn't – the set was not without its uh, its little bits of drama. Um, the aliens. So, you know, Cameron envisioned, you know, the aliens being much more dynamic in this movie as opposed to the original, where, um, you know, the, the guys who designed – the alien suits for the film obviously were huge fans of what Giger had done and felt that what he what he created was so unique and needed to be emulated and obviously I mean it's it's the aliens has become iconic that look but there were there were certain sacrifices and or uh, accommodations they had to make to make the suits more wearable uh, movable um, and you know durable because. You know the alien and alien in alien. You know that we talked about. It was it was it was shot very carefully and very in 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 very controlled ways. It wasn't leaping around all over the place. Well, you know, in this film, they've got stunt guys, they've got acrobats, they've got guys on wires 
doing just incredible stunt work to make the aliens into this more, much more dynamic and threatening force. Instead of just this one alien that's picking off the crew one by one, you have aliens coming out of the walls at you. And they're bouncing and they're jumping and they're on the ceiling and they're coming down from above. And, you know, that, that Cameron has created what is arguably what, and if you say, say to anyone, what is, an, what is an alien, that's what they're going to describe. They're going to describe the James Cameron leaping, jumping, flying through the air, you know, badass alien that they, you have in the video games and everything. And, uh, and for me, I, I always liked it. I love the original because it was so creepy and scary. But for what Cameron was trying to accomplish with this movie, man, it just that just works so great. I mean, it's just phenomenal what they were able to do, you know, changing changing that dynamic and making them so just so exciting to watch. And uh, so yeah, it was it was it was a neat it was a definitely a neat way that he was able to sort of keep the keep the look, but do it in a way that they, he'd be able to get the shots that he wanted to get. Right the the scene where uh, the scene where Hicks. Uh, looks up through the, the the roof of the elevator or no through the was it the no it was the roof of the uh, the room they were in and he sees all those aliens coming at him oh my gosh even now it makes me jump yeah and and and, and about that scene was was funny is that Cameron came in to check out the suits one day and he he's like hey come here he got he got one of the actors in one of the suits he's like he set a camera up on the floor and he was like Crawl at the crawl at the at the lens, and so the guy gets on the floor and he's crawling directly towards the camera. And then Cameron looks at looks at the little video monitor, but he had flipped the camera over, so it was upside down. So it looked like he was the guy was crawling on the roof, and he was like, "There, that's it. That's the shot he wants." And that's how he created that that shot. Those guys were just obviously he just flipped the camera, so those guys were crawling along a floor with a, a false ceiling above them, and then he just flipped it around and created really a great shot because when when you, when when that door is closed and they got the motion tracker and they're like, you know, five meters and they're like, that ain't reading right. That's in the room. And you're like, and like, and then all of a sudden Hicks look, he looks up and he like pushes his gun and he pokes his head up there. That's just awesome. Yeah. 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 There, this movie is just, just absolutely filled with just great moments, exciting moments. Um, it's interesting that, you know, the, the movie definitely paces, you know, a, a very similar to Alien in that not a whole lot happens in that first hour of this movie. I mean, I, I, I didn't put a timer to it, but it's a while before, you know, shit starts hitting the fan. You know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, let's face it, I mean, it's, it's a while. They, they, they you know, we, we establish that Ripley is rescued and that she's been out in space all this time. Um, and, and then we establish that the company it no longer, you know, has sent people to this planet to live and they're processing an atmosphere for the planet and they don't believe Ripley's story, but ah, but they really do believe Ripley's story. You know, that's, that's the whole point is that Ripley tells them about what happens. And as soon as, as, as she tells them, the company turns around and sends people out to go find this derelict spaceship and this, and these eggs, um, you know, something, something that was never really explained is you know obviously what what were they initially? Why did the company divert the Nostromo to the planet? You know what was that mission? What, what did they know what was there? And then you know then did they forget about it? And then they sent people there, and were people sort of always looking for 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 the derelict ship and never found it? Or did when they rescued Ripley? Did then all of a sudden they're like, oh, it is there is something there? I I, I wonder if I just never understood how that all sort of was supposed to work. Maybe maybe Prometheus will tell us how the, how all this came to be, you know? Maybe. I but, can't wait to see that one. I know it's going to be so good. Yeah. So anyway, so and you know, and, and then you and I were talking earlier about how special edition established that Ripley had a daughter um which 
was dropped from the theatrical release. And 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 as you said, I think, you know, I think it, I think that was a good call insofar as you know, I think we were able to accept Ripley's relationship with Newt being so maternal as you know, because as 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 natural for the character. It didn't seem out of character for her to find this little girl who's scared and who's alone. Um, and it's, it, 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 it has so much to do with how, what, what Ripley went through in Alien. She was scared and she was alone, but she had a fight. And, you know, this girl survived longer with no training and no provisions. Well, why don't you put her in charge? <laughs> <laughs> but that's, you know, but, but you know, Newt is, is, is like a young Ripley. And you can see that maternal bond and that maternal aspect coming out in, in Ripley's character. And I think it's appropriate and it plays well in the movie a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, as does her relationship, you know, with Hicks. It's not heavy-handed. It's not overt. It's not like they're flirting. It's not. It's not Twilight. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Not. <laughs> so I mean, it's 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 believable. You know, they're under a lot of stress, but you know, they have that nice little moment where he teaches her how to use the pulse rifle and gives her the tracking bracelet. Um, but that's it, and that was enough. That mm-hmm. was enough to sort of establish that these two might have a connection, and that's kind of it's kind of nice to see. Ripley, you know, because we're rooting for Ripley. We want Ripley to not only kick ass and kill the aliens, but we want her just like, God, please have a normal life. <laughs> yeah. You know, you've had such a horrible, horrible life, and everything's been so, so crappy for you. Um, you know, you, the only thing, only thing, only thing good in your life for, for all these years is your cat. You know, I mean, <laughs> Jones has been the only companion we've ever seen or have. So, um, it is. It's nice to see that, and uh, and then you got guys like, you know, like. Gorman, um, and, you know, t- we were talking about that before. How you know he, you know, I've never seen him in anything else, but he was really, really good as as you know this green lieutenant who is in charge of these hardened Marines who have, have all this experience and he has none, and he's supposed to try and it's like hurting cats. I mean, these guys aren't listening to him; they don't respect him. Um, you know, he's doing the best he can, and he's got he's got you know the. He's got such a great redemption story in this movie in terms of he sucks as the commander. He's, he's worthless. He, you know, he makes all the bad calls, and then he gets hit on the head and gets knocked out. And so we're done, we're done dealing with his BS for a while. Then he comes to, and he realizes, like, you know, everyone around him is doing their job, and he, you know, he needs to be supportive and, and help them. And then at the end, him and Vasquez holding that grenade, I, I, get, I just get goosebumps thinking about it. That is such a great moment when, when he pops that cap and she puts her hand around his and they're holding it and looking at it. And she goes, you always were an asshole, Gorman. And he's about to pi- fire that thing off and kill them both so that they don't get, ca- don't get killed by the aliens. Right. That's a great moment. It is. It is. I, I thought it, it said a lot because in, in that moment, you know, uh, with very little dialogue, you have Vasquez who who absolutely despises Gorman because he is pretty much solely responsible for most of their team being killed because he just wouldn't listen. She but wanted it, to kill him in the APC. It's exactly. So in that moment, she looks at him, makes that you know offhanded statement, and you know right away she forgives him and he's been redeemed and boom. Yeah, and she respects him, and it, yeah, it's, it, it, but Vasquez, you know, let's talk about Vasquez for a minute. Vasquez, Jeanette, Jeanette Goldstein's performance as Vasquez, and the way that, that character is written, let's, I mean, could, um, oh my God, I, now I'm blanking on her name, because every time she's on freaking screen, she always, pl- she always plays, va- tries to play Vasquez, um, the, the, the one from Avatar, um, Michelle Rodriguez. Yes. Oh my God. 
all she can do is her, her imitation of Vasquez. Every movie she's in, mm-hmm. she's pretending to be Vasquez. Yeah, exactly. Nobody can be Vasquez with Vasquez. Well, you know, and the funny thing about it is, and, and this is kind of a horrible thing, but uh, it, it had been quite a few years since I've seen Aliens, you know, the second Alien movie. So in my mind, I'm thinking this whole time that it was Michelle Rodriguez who played Vasquez. <laughs> I know. <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> think that. It's true. Because <laughs> that's the char- she plays that exact same character every time. And in Avatar is the only time where if she came where she showed up she played Vasquez and I was like okay that wasn't bad you were okay <laughs> at playing Vasquez you know you were you were still a bit of a hard ass and sometimes when she does it it just doesn't fly it just doesn't look legit but she was she did a good job in Avatar but you know Vasquez is great I mean you know when 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 the aliens when she slips Drake the extra the extra ammo pack after oh, yeah. Gorman tells him to 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 you know, marshal out their their ammo because underneath the nuclear reactor, and then when the aliens start just breaking out the walls, she goes, "Let's rock!" Yep, yep. <laughs> she starts firing that smart gun off. That is classic. It is. It's absolutely wicked cool. Yeah. I love that gun. Yeah, the smart guns are very very cool. And and and, and then and then they're they're in the uh, they're in the control room, and the aliens drop to the ceiling, and Bill Pax is like, "You want some of this? How about you? You over here?" <laughs> He's shooting at them all, and yeah, yeah it's 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 great. And uh, and then eventually, obviously, it gets down to brass tacks. I mean, the aliens have wiped everyone out, and it's just it's just you know Hicks, who's kind of out of commission because he got the acid spilled on him. Wimp. And I'm sorry. Wimp. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and, uh, you know, Gorman's, you know, I guess, well, Gorman, no, Gorman's dead at that yeah, point. Yeah, Gorman's and, gone. Uh, um, and Newt and Bishop, um, and uh, they go and they have to rescue, they have to go rescue Newt. Um, and that's just, I mean, that's just a, a great sequence when she's making her way down through, um, through into the hive, into the nest, and then, you know, finds Newt, gets her out. And then stumbles into the into the queen's nest area with the eggs, and it's just like, and then the queen's chasing. And again, you know, this is this is a movie where women are 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 empowered. I mean, mm-hmm. let's face it, Ripley Ripley is a badass, and she's you know she's the true progenitor and original you know chick with a gun who's not <laughs> taking any any crap from anyone. You know, Newt Newt is this, is this, yeah, she screams a lot, but she's a little kid and she she survived all this time with all these aliens running around and she's not and you know, she's not the one who's panicking and and freaking out and uh um and then you have the alien queen. You know, and the alien queen is is only interested in defending her nest, her young. So you get this whole dynamic going and it's great and just when you think it's over and they're back up onto the uh, Sulaco you know, Bishop gets that tail through his chest, and the, oh, and then the alien rips Bishop into pieces, and the little piece of Bishop lying on the ground, and he's <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> well, as I as I rewatched this, I realized, you know, that uh, I don't know. I, I think I may, and and I'm probably gonna offend a few people, uh, and you and I may have a little bit of uh, a debate about this, Brian. But um, I remember this movie being a lot greater than I thought it was when I rewatched it. Now, I'm not saying that I didn't think it was a great movie. I mean, I, I obviously think this is a, a fantastic movie, and all of the Alien movies really are okay in some <laughs> aspect or another. But um, I think that uh, you know, rewatching it and, and looking at it with a finer eye, if that makes any sense, you know, mm-hmm. a more uh, a critical eye, there there were some things that, that I didn't you know, care for a whole lot. And I know that they're really nitpicky stuff, but still, um, I thought that the script was kind of corny. 
Uh, it works though, you know, in this in this movie. But uh-huh. if you really listen to the dialogue, it's just it. As you said earlier, I mean, it, it's definitely a different movie than Alien. A yeah. much different movie. Um, I didn't think that the dialogue was as good, or maybe it didn't feel as natural. Okay, that's as, interesting. As Alien, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I guess, I guess what I would, what I would say is that my reaction to the screenplay is that it's very tight, it's yeah. very concise, and I think it, uh, I think it moves, it moves the plot and the story and the characters forward in a very economical way. It's just, it's just like you know, it's very boom, boom, boom. Personally, I find the banter between the Marines, for example, to be very believable. So. So I guess I think I think I think maybe what you're saying is that you know maybe you know when you say it's corny and stuff, you know I, if if you don't buy it if you don't if you don't buy the premise if you don't accept it and you t- take a step back and go you know it's Bill Paxton delivering these lines and or it's someone else and you're like eh it's kind of corny you're you're right then if you're sort of disfranchised from it and it's going to be more difficult to sort of accept it from the when I saw it originally as a as a uh, I was 17 when the movie came out, you know I bought it hook line and sinker. I was I was very fun. I, I you know I was like this is how because it reminded you know it reminded me of it reminded me of Rambo. I mean it reminded yeah. me of all of those war movies that were coming out around that time, and that same sensibility. Rewatching it now as an an adult and you know being a bit more trying to be a bit more critical towards it, I'm still buying i'm still buying in he, he cameron get definitely gets gets me I, and i agree that he probably doesn't get everyone and now you're probably looking at it going you know i'm not as i'm not i'm not getting i'm not as invested as as i was when i was younger mm-hmm. because i'm seeing these things that are kind of like eh, kind of bothering me yeah, are there any other examples of things that sort of, as you watch it it kind of go eh, that's not something <laughs> well a lot of continuity errors a lot of just little you know and uh doing some of the things that I've done uh, over the last several years, you know, I, I do a lot of video editing and, uh-huh. and then editing for podcasts and stuff. Um, I pay really close attention to a lot of things. And there were a lot of issues in the movie that I was a little bit disappointed with because I'm thinking, okay, here's here's a Cameron movie. I mean, it's, it's a big movie, lots of money, and it, it's part of a big franchise. They should have spent a lot more attention, you know, they should have paid a lot more attention when they were editing this up. For uh-huh. instance, um, there was, uh, there's a scene in, um, where was it? Uh, I think it's when Ripley is actually going towards the Borg, or Borg Queen, too. <laughs> when Ripley is going towards the alien, uh, the Queen, you see one of the aliens coming at her. And as he's flipping around, if you look, and it's only there for maybe three to five seconds, you can actually see the wires. Oh, yeah. yeah they're, it's they're, really yeah. plain. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's another scene uh, where we were talking about earlier where Vasquez, I think it's Vasquez, accidentally flames Frost. Yes. And he falls down the shaft. As yep. he's falling down the shaft, you can see, you can actually see a crewman's foot okay, sticking true. out. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, you're, you're, that's yeah, and I've I've never noticed that. I've seen the I, I did notice the wires before on a couple of the shots with the aliens and stuff. But uh, that's interesting. I've never you know. But like you said, you know, you're this is you have you have an eye for it. Right. You know, you this is these are the type of things that you would be looking to eliminate from something you are working on yourself. So I could totally understand that. Is there anything about the the story, the plot that you kind of are you kind of falls flat for you? Oh no, yep. <laughs> no, I love this. You know, the funny thing is, 
Um, I, I have the the special edition, so it's a little bit longer. I think it's like 17 minutes longer. So the movie is just a tad over two and a half hours. Yeah. And I'm thinking, man, that's a long movie. But you know what? Every, in my opinion, every scene is needed. It moves along at a really decent pace that you don't. It's kind of like you know. It's kind of like the uh, Lord of the Rings. It, mm-hmm. it, they're long, but you don't notice it. Yeah. And I started thinking, well, what could be removed to make it a shorter movie? And absolutely nothing. I mean. So and, and it's interesting you say that. So we we didn't mention we we mentioned briefly the the the, the deleted scene that was re-added into the special mm-hmm. edition where Ripley's um, looking at a photograph of her daughter and that was addressed. Then there's also the whole sequence of Newton, her parents, and her brother um, as the wildcatter is being sent out to you know you see you see the families in the station being the, you see the family being sent out to explore the derelict finding the derelict ship going into the derelict ship and then her dad coming out with a face hugger on his face um, and oh by the way I, I mentioned it before but uh, Timmy her brother in the film was actually Carrie's brother Timmy yeah. <laughs> but uh, no you're right I mean th- did you like that did you, or did you because that you know th- now now I'll give I'll I'll, I'll lay out a little criticism. I love seeing it because it's like so cool to see the derelict again. I'm all for that, and you get to see how the how the company manipulated the colonists to go and go get this thing, or someone someone needs to go find this thing, and then but they didn't know what they were dealing with, and then all hell breaks loose. But to me, from, just from this, this the sake of expediency, and that's the longest additional scene that's yeah. put into the film. That actually I found made that first part of the movie too long because then now all of a sudden now we're not getting anything to do with the aliens until because they, it, nothing with the aliens happens until they get to the power plant now it's even it's an hour and 17 minutes down the road from the start of the movie that that starts happening so if i had to be critical of anything in terms of pacing that's the part where the pacing i felt was a little off that it, and which i can see why it was removed from the theatrical but i'm glad i'm happy to see it now in the in the in the special edition yeah i agree um, for curiosity reasons it, it's it's fun to see that but yeah. I, I think personally i think it does it doesn't really do anything to effectively contribute to the to the story at all yep. and in fact i think it removes a bit for me because i like not knowing or not seeing um, Newt's story. You know, I like seeing her just being this mysterious kid that shows up there because, quite honestly, when I first saw the movie, I, I was a little, you know, leery of her. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Why yeah. is she there? Is she somehow infected? Is she somehow working for the aliens of some sort? Oh, really? That's a react. That's interesting that you, yeah. that you were skeptical of, of, of her or, or, you know, distrustful of her, not yeah. buying. Not buying that she was a, that's it. I, I I never had that reaction, but boy, that that does make it inter- That makes it even more compelling. It's like wow, you know, there's there's a whole different aspect to it that I I never even thought about. Yeah, yeah, but and you're right that that showing her showing her and Timmy palling around in their you know in their dune buggy thing kind of playing that, word yeah. with words with friends, you know, yeah. sitting there. Doing that. It's like you know, I, I just I just didn't uh, I I did. I'm glad that they removed it from the original, um, the, the original uh, showing of it and. Uh, like I said, it, it was interesting to see it again or see it, but I, I just didn't really think that it contributed a whole lot. Sure, fair enough. Yeah. And then I think the other the other major in scene that was inserted was the smart guns um, in the in those tunnels. Oh, those were wicked cool. Wicked cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the the you know the, the wicked cool. I want to see. I want to see 
stuff shooting shit. That that <laughs> stuff. When I look at that, I'm like, that is awesome. I mean, to see that scene. But again, they were able to sort of just skip ahead, and they just said, okay, we set up these uh, automatic guns, and they're shooting, and they're running down bullets, and that's yeah. and that it didn't need, it didn't even need to be there. In fact, in, in the, I'm saying I'm confused now. In the theatrical release, do they even bother, or did they seal, do they seal that hatch, and then? That's it. They that's never pretty re- much it. Yeah, they yeah, seal they the never hatch re- and then they move on. Right. They never return to the smart guns that they set up. But anyway, you're right. That's that was definitely something that you know that cut it down. And then there was a couple of a quickie scenes with like, I think Ripley talking to Newt about her daughter. As I recall, yeah. was it in there? Yeah. yeah. I didn't actually. I didn't rewatch it again. I just watched the special features. But uh, yeah, no. For it's it, it definitely. It's a long film as it is, and it definitely plays a lot tighter without the special edition stuff. But once you've once you've already enjoyed the film for what it is, the special having the special editions put in there kind of make it a lot even more fun because you, you get to discover all these new new things that you never thought of before. It does. I I like yeah. I, I do. I, I like watching these uh, uh, deleted scenes put back in, and then you know most of the time you can see. Okay, that's why they cut it out because it makes no no sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you are wishing that they had put the the scenes in there, like the uh, like the sentry guns, the auto sentry guns. I'm glad they put that back in because I thought it it actually contributed to the scene. It contributed to the story quite a bit for me because it, it builds up that tension. It's like, oh my gosh, we've got these. You know, we've got four of these guns out there that are just mowing these things down, but they are still coming. So for right. me, that builds up that tension. Right. Yeah. The, the scene with uh, you know little Timmy <laughs> not falling down the well, although I was looking for a well to push him into. Um, <laughs> I didn't think that that worked, so I was glad that they took that out. Yeah. 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 Interesting. No, yeah. I mean, uh, but so so at, at rewatching it, you just it, it it doesn't quite have the same impact that it had for you. Right. Because well, yeah. the first time, the first, and I think I mentioned this uh, on the last podcast that we did together. Um, the first time, the first time that I seen Aliens was uh, at a special advanced uh, screening. Uh, somehow, some reason, I got um, uh, on this mailing list uh, for one of the local TV stations, and I always got these tickets in the mail. And I got tickets to see an advanced uh, screening of Aliens with a, a whole group of other uh, viewers, and it was at the original Cine Capri Theater, which was oh, sure, a yeah. huge wrapper. I mean, it, this was yep. an immense screen. Yep. And that experience was just unbelievable. I mean, it was just, you know, because there's gigantic, you know, 12-foot speakers behind you, all yeah. the way around you. Yeah, I've been, I've been to the Cine Capri. It's very oh, cool. Oh, yeah. So uh, and then and then rewatching it. You know, I've watched it a couple times over the years, but not recently. So I, I rewatched it when we were preparing for this podcast. It it did. I think I had built up this hype so much that I yeah. was expecting more. And yeah. you know, I'm not disappointed with the movie. I think I love the movie. I still, you know, I'm glad that it's part of my uh, my library. But uh, it's just not as impact impactful as it was. Mm. No, I understand. Yeah, from for me, yeah, I saw it. I saw it in theaters originally. In, in, like I said, when I was 17 in 1986, I saw it with my dad. My, he and I went together and. Maybe that also contributed to my my memories about it as being so positive. But you know, I definitely, I was definitely committed. I saw it. I saw it a couple times that summer when it came out. I know I went back a number of times to see it. Mm-hmm. And you know, over the years, I I I have to say I probably not a year goes by that I don't watch it, whether it be stumbling across it on TV or or popping in a DVD. Um, or you know, when I got the Alien anthology DVDs I, with all the bonus oh, yeah. stuff and extra features, I watched all that. Then the Blu-rays came out, and I rewatched all those. 
And yeah, from yeah, for me, this movie is still a great, great ride. Um, you know, if I if I'm if I got a gun to my head and I'm being sent to the desert island <laughs> and I can only take one aliens movie with me, you know, I I think I'm taking Alien, the original, still though, because it's that that movie was was really impactful, but. You know, Alien is Aliens is definitely more fun. I mean, no doubt about it. Aliens is is is, is a is a roller coaster ride of a movie, um, and you know it's kinetic and it's dynamic and it's got it's got a lot of stuff going on for it that the original didn't. Nor should the original should. I mean, you know, one was one was a uh, you know was a was sort of a gothic horror movie. And you know, Aliens is more of a action adventure terror movie. You know, he Cameron really ratches ratches up the 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 tension, but he does does it in a way that's not like what what Scott did. Scott was just so methodical about his pacing and about his, his setting it up and setting up the scares, whereas Cameron's just like. He's like, you know, it's coming. I know it's coming, and when it comes, it's gonna be badass. Wait till you see this. <laughs> yeah, so it's like it's like the original Alien. Ridley Scott created a very cerebral movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those. If if you have to put them into classifications, I think Ridley Scott's version was more like a like a foreign art film, and. I'm not saying that it was, mind yeah. you, but uh, you know, if we have Bonjour, to compare, the two, yeah. Ça va. <laughs> yeah, no, so don't even get me started on that. Um, and and uh, and Cameron's version was more of the you're right, the the, the American uh, gunslinger just hit him in the gut. So one is cerebral, one is gut. I that that's a great way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree 100. percent So mm-hmm. and it's it's a great movie. You know, it's great to to be able to take this take this time and uh, and and look back on it with mm-hmm. you know with a good friend like you who has <laughs> who appreciates it as well. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just a blast. It's just it's just so much fun. I mean, I was, last the other night I was sitting up watching the extra features, a little notepad, making notes, and Jamie's like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, <laughs> "I'm like, Al and I are going to do the Aliens podcast. We did Alien, and it was, we had a great time. Now we're doing this." And she's like, "You're taking notes?" I was like, "Yeah, I want to take notes." I want to, you know, I want to learn what, what what went into making something that gave me a lot of joy. You know, what, what, they made me smile and cringe and jump out of my seat. And it's like, how did they do all of that? And I just find this stuff so interesting. And uh, that's why I love, look, you know, going back and looking at these movies and really digging into, as opposed to, you know, when you you and I do these talking about. The movie. Everyone's seen the movie. We know. We know the movie. But how do they just? How do they do all this? How did this come to be? What was the origins of it? And I, I really enjoy that. And uh, it's always a great pleasure to uh, talk about it with you. Oh yeah, I love it. We're going to turn you into a podcaster. Oh lord, here we go. You're going to be the, the last thing, one. That's the last thing people need is me once a week. <laughs> <laughs> I can barely take me once a week. <laughs> oh, I think there's a lot of people out there that will. Uh, Argue that point with you, man. As long as you keep your shirt on, I'm fine. <laughs> I know. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about that today. I was like, because I'm wearing like my little run signal because I went for a run a little while ago. But when I train and like do all that crap that I do, I always wear shirts. I mean, I never go out. I mean, I wear some pretty ridiculous stuff like speedo bathing suits and crap like that. But I mean, you know, and I realize that's kind of comical. I mean, thank God I'm, you know, I'm out there doing, you know, training. So at least it looks like it's appropriate. But whenever I'm in, in my house, like I, I take everything off because I'm so freaking hot, you yeah, know, and then yeah. I'm always taking pictures of all this neat stuff that I get and posting on the internet and the next thing you know I'm the guy with no shirt. <laughs> That's <laughs> but how we start. Yes, we, we do. Digress. Yeah, so we should th- once again we should definitely thank I want to thank Rico for giving us the chance to to get in here and uh take over the uh the comm for a little while and uh have a great time and uh always a, such a pleasure to do this with you and uh I say we just keep on plowing forward. David David Finchner kills everybody off, baby. Yeah. 
Sigourney's the only one coming out in the next movie, so we probably want to talk about that at some point. That's so right. let's try. Let's definitely plan on it. So coming to an iPod near you, Alien Cubed. <laughs> <laughs> we shall save our thoughts on that till later. That's right. Anything else? Uh, actually, yeah, we have a we have a listener comment. Oh, believe awesome. it or not. Yeah, Chris. The uh, Chris L. from the forums sent uh-huh. us an email. Or Sweet. I'm sorry, he sent us an audio comment. So let me cue that up. Hi, everybody. This is Chris L. from the Trex and Sci-Fi forums. Um, and Alan Bryan are talking about Aliens, which is up there with my top movies ever. Um, certainly top five sequels ever. Up there with Godfather Part Two, and Wrath of Khan and Empire Strikes Back. Uh, takes the original and expands the universe, doesn't mimic the beats of the original. It's its own creature. It goes from a, from a stalker movie, almost, which is what Alien was, to a war movie in a sci-fi setting. I just love this movie. It is just a fun action ride. Um, the characters are, are excellent. I mean, all of the Marines have their own personalities. Easy to tell them apart. I mean... You got Hudson, who certainly is probably one of the best cowards ever, although I can't really call him a coward. I probably would react similarly if I was stuck on a crappy planet uh, with a bunch of aliens that want to stick their mouth through my head. But um, it's, it's one of the most quotable movies ever. My friends and I can throw out an aliens quote for almost any situation. Certainly game over, man, comes to mind. I mean, for when you're having a rough time of it. Um, I just, uh, it's also one of the most influential uh, movies as far as soldiers in space go. I mean, if you see a movie that has soldiers in space, they usually owe a lot to aliens. Certainly Halo, uh, the Halo franchise, the everything from the looks, the look of the soldiers, to the vehicles, to the weapons, some of the characters, Echo Aliens, Starship Troopers, uh, another big, you can see the influence there. It's just a great movie. Um, I, 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 wish that the rest of the franchise had been as well handled as Aliens was. And, you know, really, you can count Alien and Aliens as the end, as far as I'm concerned. Prometheus looks promising. Certainly Ridley Scott's involved. So that's going to be probably pretty good. Um, that's it. Uh, looking forward to listening to the podcast, guys. And I want a nice, clean dispersal this time. See you later. <laughs> uh, those are that, those are great, great comments, Chris. Um, you know, you you bring up the um, the sequel thing, and it's something I had meant. I had in my notes as well. I wanted to mention that you know, truly, this was in, in the Godfather and Khan and Empire, but you 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 touched on all of them. And, that, and this film really is you know it, it, the the template for how to make. And because I mean, Khan, Wrath of Khan really isn't a sequel. This this is really truly the next installment and as such i think it's it's just one of the best that's ever ever been done mm-hmm. without a doubt and uh and then yes and I couldn't agree more about the 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 aesthetic uh the military aesthetic that cameron created has been copied to death oh, so i mean yeah. so you got alien you know with its truckers in space aesthetic that you know was became so popular and so in vogue and is still used to this day that that used in kind of look and then You've got 
the the whole military aesthetic that Cameron created with Aliens um, that carries on, and it's it, it, like you said, it's in games now, and it's whatever it's what everyone has come to expect. So really, ter- terrific comments. Thank you so much for sending those in. Absolutely, and uh, I just wanted to say one thing about the vehicles, and and I I, I was thinking about this when I was rewatching it. The APC. Did you notice how much that resembles the Batmobile in uh, in the new Batman franchises? Oh, I mean the, the Tumbler. The, the Tumbler, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought, yeah. wow, that yeah. looks awfully familiar. And yeah. there was one other nitpicky thing, and then I'll get off of it. <laughs> Go ahead. It was with, with the with the APC. It kind of suffers from the TARDIS effect. Yes. It, <laughs> it's about five times as big um, in the inside than I the know. outside. <laughs> I expected to see the doctor somewhere hiding around a corner with his sonic screwdriver fixing the uh, – you know, fixing the uh, hydraulics or something. <laughs> you're, you're, you know, what's so funny is that when, when when I was a kid watching this movie, I never noticed that until – and then later on I was like – I look at it and I'd watch them jumping out the door and I'm like – Man, there's a lot of room in there. I mean, how do they? Because I mean, the interior shots, you know, they're all they're all lined up against the wall. Gorman has uh-huh. his computer console set up thing. It's like a whole like I'm like, how do they get all in there? I know it's, there's like twelve rooms. There's yeah. a di- there's a formal <laughs> dining room. There's the bathroom, a, the bathroom, the movie room. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so, that's so funny. You said, I, I, and it's something I never noticed so much later. And then I was just like. That's <laughs> suspension of belief yes, begins at oh, the door. But, but really, great, great comments, Chris. Couldn't, yeah. couldn't agree with you more. Um, I think that uh, I think we're in for a real treat with Prometheus. Fingers crossed. I think that's looking really, really good. Um, not necessarily as a true alien prequel. I, I think going into that movie, it's got to be given its own wide berth and mm. you know let it be a little bit of a standalone. And I bet you that I can get you to at least say that Finchner's Alien 3 wasn't that bad. I'm going to try. We're gonna, I'm gonna, that, that's going to be my mission for our next podcast is to get Chris to actually look at Alien 3 and go, yeah, I guess it's all right. <laughs> yeah, you have to look at you have to look at it through different eyes. Yeah, <laughs> Rick Moyer's eyes might help. There you go. He's, he's, he's so positive about everything. <laughs> I know. Yeah, we love you, Rick. Yes, we do. <laughs> so, uh, anything else? Uh, That's it. This? That yeah. is it, my man. I am. Uh, I am. Sp- Bent with all my alien knowledge, and uh, but again, I really, really enjoy doing this with you, and it's been a great pleasure as always. And uh, look forward to continue doing it. Sounds good. Alrighty. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over.